Cues. Real kids, real questions. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us on Kids Cues. My name's Kate. And I'm Dylan. And in today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a topic that's probably affecting everyone listening to this podcast right now. The very famous coronavirus. Yep. Well, words we never used a few months ago like COVID, social distancing and self-isolation are now a part of our daily lives. And we even have slang for some of those terms like ISO. (laughs) (laughs) But what we really want to know more about is what's being done to fight the virus. Well, in WA, we've had some really cool research happening in a place that maybe you've heard about. It's the Telethon Kids Institute. And in a moment, we'll be chatting to a man you may have seen on telly before. The director, Professor Jonathan Karapetis, which is very exciting. Honestly, I'm like super duper excited because I've seen him in all these telethon (laughs) ads on the television and we're going to talk to him. And he's also going to be answering some questions from the Year 5 students at Rosalie Primary School. But before we start, we thought we might give you a very quick rundown of the timeline of coronavirus, where and when this disease emerged. So the first reports of an unknown pneumonia was in Wuhan in China on New Year's Eve last year. Yeah, and then one month later, the World Health Organization said that the outbreak was a health emergency of international concern. And then on the 11th of February, the virus was given a new name, the well-known COVID-19. And of course, since then, millions of people have been infected with this virus and so many countries have needed to go into lockdown. But as kids, we still have so many unanswered questions. So today we are absolutely thrilled to be speaking with a world health leader, Professor Jonathan Karapetis. Thanks for joining us on Kids Cues. Oh, absolute pleasure. A few people have told me that sometimes the kids call you Professor Carrots and Peas. Well, so I'm told, yes, it seems to be something that's stuck, so happy (laughs) with that. Okay, well, I'm going to stick with Professor, and thanks again for joining us on Kids Cues. We're going to jump straight into the questions because we have quite a few today, and the first one comes from Maya. I'd like to know why the coronavirus is so contagious, and has there ever been a virus like this in the past? It's actually interesting because when you think about what contagious means, it actually means how easy is the virus to get from one person who's got it to another person who hasn't got it. And actually, the coronavirus is not as contagious as other viruses like, say, chickenpox or flu. It's, it still spreads reasonably easy, but it's not one of the really bad spreaders. But it seems like it does from what we see in the papers. And that's for two, I guess, two reasons. One of which is that none of us has ever seen this virus before because it's brand new. So our immune systems don't have any way of protecting us against it. Um, like they do for, say, chickenpox and flu, which we might have seen before. Um, And so it's easy for someone who gets exposed to the virus to actually get infected with the virus. Um, But the other big one is that there's lots of people who get coronavirus who either have a really, really mild illness, like just a mild cold, or in fact, some people who don't get sick at all, yet they do have that virus and they can spread it to others. So it's kind of like hidden in the community and that means that a lot of people seem to get infected out of nowhere and that's why it seems probably more contagious than it really is. Ah, okay, that's really interesting. So this next question from Joel is something that I think a lot of us have been wondering lately. 
I would like to know, can you get coronavirus twice and how will it affect you? Oh, Joel, that's, um, that's uh, just like Kate, I'm also someone who's asking the very same question. I wish I had a good answer for that because we don't know yet. Um, it's, it's, this, this virus is kind of weird because we know it can hang around a long time in some people, um, sometimes for many weeks. And what we don't know is whether that is just the original time you got the virus, it's just hanging around in your body, or whether maybe in some of those people they might have got it again. It's going to take us a long time to figure that out, um, and that's just because this is all new. So right now, we don't know for sure, but as time passes in the next few months, we should be able to give you a much better answer as to whether you can get it again. I personally don't even want to get it once, let alone yes. twice. <laughs> um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully those uh, stats come in soon. But our next question is from Penny. i like to know why some countries are recovering from COVID so quickly while some are not. It's really scary, isn't it, when we look around the world and see countries like the United Kingdom and like America where so many people have got the virus and there's so many people dying. And then we look at what's happened in Australia and, boy, have we, are we lucky or are we just really good at managing it? And there's probably a few things that mean that we have done better than most. One is that we got in early. So by the time America and Britain and other countries realized that they needed to lock down things to stop people being able to spread the virus, it was already out there. And so already there were lots of people in the community with the virus. And so at that point, it's really hard to stop it being spread to others. Whereas we got in very early and, and we closed the borders and told people to do the physical distancing and the washing of the hands. Um, and that, those are all the things that make the difference. So it's how early you get in and then some countries have also been much stricter on all the things I just talked about, the physical distancing, the hand hygiene, stopping people moving around. Australia was pretty strict compared to many of them. And that's meant that the very few cases of virus that were out there, we managed to stop them being spread to other people better than some countries. And then the other thing that I think we've got in our favour is that we're an island. And that means that we can shut our borders and stop people coming into Australia. And even between our states. Some of the states actually stop people moving from one state to another and even within the state. So the less people move around, the less likely they are to, to take the virus with them. Okay, so here in WA we've been pretty lucky. But Kipling would like to know about those people who aren't as fortunate. How are poor countries and homeless people reacting to COVID-19? And how are we helping them? Well, that's a that's, that's fantastic um, question and, and really important because we're, whilst we've done well in Australia, we, we have a responsibility to a lot of other countries, particularly countries nearby. And we know we're worried that the poorer countries might not have the, the resources, they might not have the laboratories or the, the, the masks and the, what we call the personal protective equipment that they need. I know that the, the government and also a number of our researchers in Australia are very involved in countries nearby like Timor-Leste, uh, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Samoa, countries near us, um, a lot of the, the researchers in the government are helping the laboratory capacity, the supplies of masks and gowns. Australia isn't able to provide a lot of help to countries far away. And, and we do know that a lot of the poorer countries in, say, Latin America, um, in India and Africa, that they're 
they're, they're doing it really tough. There are really big problems with the virus being transmitted there. So it's very good that we're able to get involved with the closer countries, except it's a bit unfortunate we can't help the ones slightly further away. Zara wants to know more about the actual virus itself. Are the flu and COVID-19 similar or not? If they are similar, does the flu vaccine help stop COVID? Hmm. The flu, the flu virus, it's, it, the virus itself is very different to the COVID virus, but the, the illness you get from it is, has got some similarities. So you get similar things like fever and a cough and a sore throat. And it can also get into your lungs like the COVID virus can. There are some differences in the, in the illness. So, um, you know, especially the, the, the length of time that you get COVID can often be a lot longer than the flu. And some of the ways it affects your lungs can be different. Um, so there's some similarities, quite a few differences. The flu vaccine, though, it stops flu. It, it doesn't stop COVID. But the important thing there is that, well, there's two things. One is that if you get flu and you also get COVID, then we think you'll be at greater risk of getting much sicker. So it's good to get the flu vaccine to stop you getting the flu. But also, if you do get sick and you have had the flu vaccine, then it's not likely to be flu. And it helps you figure out whether or not you might need to get tested for COVID. So it's definitely worth getting the flu vaccine, but it's not going to prevent COVID. On the topic of vaccines, Sam has another question. How long will it take for a vaccine and how long will it take for everybody to be cured? Oh, Sam, boy, I wish we had the vaccine now, don't we? Don't you? I mean, the, that's what we're all kind of hanging out for. What I can tell you is that we've never had such attention to developing a vaccine in such a short period of time as we have right now for COVID. There are groups all over the world developing vaccines. Um, there's lots of money being put into it because it's not cheap. And it's happening faster than has ever happened for any other vaccine. So already there are some vaccines that are in what we call trials or actually in research being given to people, um, which is amazing. That's so quick. The, it's not a quick thing to do, though, overall, and it's not an easy vaccine to make. So right now there are vaccines that have been through testing to make sure they're safe, and that that means that they have to be given first to animals to make sure the animals don't get sick from the vaccine itself. And then we give it to people, which is what those first um, bits of research in people are to make sure the vaccine is safe. And then there's a then we have to give it to people to make sure it works. And, um, and that's the next step. And there are some, some trials already underway. Um, so the, it's, it's unlikely we're going to have a vaccine until sometime next year. It's, we can't guarantee it's even going to be in the first part of next year. If it, if it is, then that will be fantastic, but that would be really fast. But don't forget also that once we get a vaccine that we know is safe and it works, we then have to get it into people. And that's one of the big challenges is how do you produce enough vaccine for the whole world and how do you get it into the people who need it the most as soon as you can? Wow, so there's really quite a lot of things that go into making this vaccine a vaccine. And we need a lot of that vaccine yeah. as It'd well. It'd be so great if we could just snap our fingers and it all just falls off a tree. Magic but vaccine. Yeah. Grace is curious who would actually need the vaccine. When we create the vaccine, who will need to have it? Everyone or only adults? Because kids don't get it that bad. That's a really important question, Grace, because as we said, when we get the vaccine there's going to be limits to how much we can produce in the first instance. And so we're going to have to prioritise, aren't we? We're going to have to decide who's at the top of the queue. Um, and there'll be different ways of figuring out 
that out. And it kind of depends on what's happening in each country with the with the, the pandemic at that point. So obviously, if we were in Australia right now, we would be mainly wanting to vaccinate the, the people who are most at risk of getting really, really sick if they got the infection. And that's the old people, the elderly in our community, a bit of the, they're the ones at the greatest risk of getting really sick, so we'd want to protect them. The people who are most at risk of getting infected, like people, the doctors and nurses, the healthcare workers, we'd want to give it to them very early. But then if you had a lot of people spreading it in your community, like in America right now, then might, what you might want to do is target the people who are most likely to spread it to others. And the people who are most likely to spread this virus to others are actually the kind of young adults, the um, people age 20 to 50, who are quite mobile and who are the ones who, are, who seem to be getting the infections at the highest rate and spreading it to others. So when we do get a vaccine, these are the things that the governments will be deciding. Um, and it kind of depends on where we're at with the, the epidemic at that point. I think you're right. I think kids are probably going to be lower down the list, sorry to tell you, because we know that kids don't get as sick as much from COVID. We know that they're not getting infected as much from COVID. And we're also finding out that they seem to be less at risk of giving it to other people. So I think eventually kids will get it, but I don't think you guys are going to be at the top of the list. Well, thank you so much, Professor Carapetus or Professor Carrots and Peas. Thanks so much for joining us today on Kids Cues. This has really helped us understand COVID-19 just a little bit better. Thank you again. Good luck with your Telethon Kids Institute with their work on COVID-19. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks, Kate. You guys have done a great job and it was, a, it was an absolute pleasure and those were fantastic questions. And thanks to all the Year 5s at Rosalie Primary School. We hope you can join us again next week on Kids Cues where we discuss fake news. Oh, no. Yeah, we might have to ask Donald Trump about that. <laughs> so what is it and why does it matter? And how can you tell the difference between real news and news that's fake? We hope you can join us then. And if you haven't already subscribed to Kids Cues, you can simply do it by hitting the download button. We'd also love to hear your ideas and feedback. Send us an email to kids at the West dot com dot au. No capitals. Well, that's it from us. Until then, bye, bye for now. now. Kids Cues, brought to you by the West Australian's Ed Magazine and Seven West Media Education.